0: Welcome to Slayer Fest ninety-eight. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford.
1: And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez.
0: And today we and, are joined yeah. by Introduce yourself. Hi. Oh sorry, was, we're you gonna introduce me. There was a pause now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're introducing
1: yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get paid enough I... to introduce you. Oops.
2: <laughs> 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 going <laughs> okay wait Phillip, <laughs> <introduce> yourself <laughs> um hello i am philip ellis and i am delighted to be here
0: yay so delighted <laughs> to
2: have you here <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: um yeah, yeah. Phil philip hi it's so lovely to talk to you in person um since we talk a lot on twitter um you're one of the surprising i like When you started talking, I was like, oh, right, he has an accent. That's so weird for me. I, like, forgot that you would have one.
2: Um, It's not weird for me hearing you guys because I feel like having binged all of Slayer Fest 98 so far, I feel like I've just been hanging out with you guys for the last few weeks anyway.
0: (laughs) That makes me really happy. Um, (laughs) He says through his trashy New Jersey accent. Um, (laughs) so I'm, yeah, today we're going to discuss... The Buffy season three episodes, Helpless and the Zeppo. Um, But first, Philip, tell us your Buffy origin story.
2: Um, Okay, so I've been trying to think, I've been racking my brain, what was the first ever episode of Buffy I saw? And as far as I can remember, I think I was about 12 years old. um, And the first episode I saw was Ted. Um, which, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, so yeah, while not a great episode, admittedly, I do think it's a brilliant, um, sort of intro because it tells you everything you need to know about the show because there's drama, there's action, there's comedy. Um, and it goes to some pretty weird places and it tells you, you know, it's not just about vampires. There's loads of crazy stuff going on. There's a metaphor about abusive relationships in there. Um, so it's sort of, it is Buffy in a, in a microcosm, even if it's sort of not a great, you know, episode, of the wider show um so so I, I i just remember yeah being sort of 12 and knowing that buffy the vampire slayer was a thing and obviously everyone's like oh buffy the vampire slayer that title is ridiculous um and i remember i think yeah i was about maybe 12 coming on 13 and my dad bought me the vhs box set of season one and i just i think i wore the tapes out on it i just i i loved it so much i was instantly obsessed um, but in the UK we had to sort of wait a little while um, to get new episodes because obviously it would, it would take a while for them to air in the UK. so we were always a little bit behind. and it would air at 6:45 on a Thursday afternoon on BBC 2. Oh,
0: yeah. um,
2: and they would edit out some of the more sort of um, extreme violent scenes or some of the more disturbing scenes. Um, so then on Friday nights at 11 o'clock, they would air the full version. And I just remember that was when my brother would come home from the pub and we would watch it together. Because my, my brother was the one who really got me into horror by, because um, I was a bit of a wimp. But then he got me into horror by getting me to watch Scream, which I feel is very much shares a lot of DNA with Buffy. Because it's sort of yeah. it's scary, but it makes fun of the genre and it subverts tropes and stuff. So yeah, I kind of came to, to Buffy and Scream and horror in general around the same time. Amazing. Oh,
0: I like that. In the UK, did you guys have, when the VHS box sets came out, was it actually the whole season or was it, because we got ones, but they were only like five episodes from each season.
2: Um, no, it was the whole, it was the whole season. Yeah. And, I, and for me, it was actually amazing because I used to be massively into Star Trek as well. And on Star Trek videos, you'd have two episodes per tape, whereas with the Buffy box sets, it was like four episodes per tape. And I was like, this is special. <laughs> Yeah, we got the whole. It was like a three three VHSs in a beautiful cardboard box with that iconic image of Buffy, where she's clutching the stake to her chest.
1: <laughs> but I just, I know I'm gonna. But obviously, that means that like you had to like rewind and fast forward through episodes if you had to if you wanted to watch a certain episode.
2: Um, yeah, although I, I I did tend to just watch them all the in way order. Through. Although I I did I I grew to skip Teacher's Pet and I Robot, you
0: <laughs> That's fair. I think. I think we I can't remember if we agreed upon those episodes. I don't really like Teacher's Pet, but I actually kind of like iRobot You Jane. I think it like I so
1: actually up. I uh, not to get not not to talk about someone else while we are hosting Philip. <laughs> Um, but there's actually someone I know whose favorite episode of Buffy, oddly, is "I Robby, Jane," and they asked me to be on the podcast recently. Really? But obviously, we were like, "I was, yeah." Like he was like, "That's legit, my favorite episode of the show." <laughs> it's um, so, so long so to like, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. So uh, I will we'll be speaking to someone who's an "I Robby, Jane stan eventually. All right, all right. <laughs> I did, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I think that that's like. Amazing, like someone who can like who says that that's their favorite episode. I just want to check your brain,
2: which is a season episode in general. Sorry, say it again. Or just like if you're having your favorite episode be an episode from season one, I think is incredibly rare. Oh yeah, no, it's kind of iconic.
0: So (laughs) yeah, I love that. I mean, like Prophecy Girl is still really good, but like I don't know. Like I feel like it's a very first season. Like I, I don't know. Prophecy Girl would be my favorite, but like it still rank lower in my list of like every episode ever.
1: You know. Um, yeah. Do I have to remind you that on this podcast I did an iconic reading from Prophecy Girl, <laughs> in which so, like, I should
2: have won an Oscar. <laughs> You moved me with that. And I love how you make yourself Buffy in every reading.
1: That's, that was my one contractual obligation for doing this podcast, <laughs> was that every time we did a reading, I was Buffy. Even though it's funny, because Buffy is not... Once Tara... Once we start getting to the episodes with Tara, and there's readings with Tara, I also call Tara. So I'm now getting calling dibs on Tara now in the middle of season three.
0: That's fine. I call dibs on Anya. Also, we haven't done a reading since season two, I think.
1: You know, well, maybe today. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Who knows? We kind of keep things... You know, we fly by the seat of our pants here at Slayer Fest. Oh my god.
0: We're going to do one. Okay? I decided. And you already know what He's scene... Decided. What scene I'm going to say. The Which, scene, no, I don't. The scene we discussed before we... Oh, out. yes.
1: Okay. Right? Okay. Um, well, Lynn, let's get into the episodes yes. so that we can get to the <laughs> readings. Um, so we're going to start with Helpless. And I think that Helpless... I mean, a lot of sh- episodes that we keep saying this in Season 3 are iconic. I think Helpless is iconic. And it's... Uh, oh, there's so many interesting things going on in it. And... Yeah, sorry. Do do where do we want to start with it?
0: Um. Okay.
1: So I, I mean, obviously, if we start at the beginning, we'll start with like the Buffy and Angel can't have sex metaphor, where they're like literally on top of each other.
2: Oh my god! Like thrusting get at him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like, like I felt like I felt awkward watching that. Like I was like, oh god, I like I feel like it feels like being a teen and dating. Like that's what that is. Like oh, this is all we can do. Well, it's one of those scenes too. like, you know,
1: as we always say, like, Buffy means so many different things to you as you grow up and as you watch the characters, you, like, like, I mean, there were times when I was watching Helpless in the Zeppo and I was like, oh, my God, that feeling is still so fresh. Or even just a lot of the fa- the father-daughter aspects of it just feel so real. But then a lot of the times the relationships seem so, like, the I mean, like, the romantic relationship parts of it, Mm -hmm. Seem so like not uh, a little less relatable. Yes. And media is that they're more relatable when you're younger and you watch it because you understand that intense kind of like teen love.
0: Yeah, whereas Yeah. Right.
1: Like I'm looking back and I'm like, girl, like you've hit it once. Like (laughs) I've you know like (laughs) she's like real dickmatized.
0: Matthew. What? (laughs) Don't say that Buffy is dickmatized.
1: I will say what I want. I'm a grown ass woman. I can do what I want. It's my podcast. I'm gonna say Buffy's dickmatized.
0: Oh now it's your podcast.
1: Oh, here we go. (laughs) Philip, you you came on such a great day. (laughs) Um so yeah, that so then obviously we get into like the I remember for some reason so viscerally watching this episode, like, when it aired, and seeing Buffy having to, like, memorize crystals, I was like, this is some bullshit. Why is she (laughs) memorizing crystals? (laughs)
0: Um, Also, like, the thing I think this episode does... So, both these episodes we're going to discuss are episodes I often skip. Um, Helpless, only because they do a really good job of, like, upsetting you when Buffy's in trouble in this episode. Like when she's fighting that vampire, and she's like, this is how it's gonna go, and then gets, like, dizzy, and then he, like, hits her, and she falls over the, like, picnic table or whatever, and then almost kills her with her steak or stabs her with her steak, I'm like... Yeah. Like, I felt, like, watching this as someone who's watched every episode a thousand times, re-watching it for this podcast, I was like, oh, shit. Like, ugh. like, I felt uncomfortable for her, because also I knew it was gonna get worse from there. Um, and I think this episode does a really good job of, like, showing you the helplessness, and that's actually why I skipped this episode, because I don't enjoy it. Like, I don't think it's a bad episode, I just don't enjoy watching it, because I don't enjoy watching her, like, suffer and be tortured, especially by her really good father figure.
2: I mean, it's sort of like, obviously, that Buffy, as a show, exists um, subverting the trope of the blonde girl being chased by the monsters, and then, you know, the blonde girl being the thing that monsters are afraid of, and it kind of, it, it flips it back to how it usually is, where she is that scared girl running away and it's like when you see her in um, I Know What You Did Last Summer or Scream 2 you're like why isn't she like fly kicking this guy in the face Yeah, um, and it's, it's distressing but especially because this character is Buffy and you know that she's meant to be kicking everyone's ass, and it's, it's, it's distressing because you see her covered in bruises and she's bleeding and she's running around screaming asking for someone else to help her and it's like this is not the show that I know and love this is actually really distressing I was, I was, you know, going to bring that up, too. So you have the
1: opening scene that um, Ian mentioned, which I think is, uh, you know, she eventually does is able yeah. to get, get out of that situation because the drugs have not really, uh, you know, taken their full toll on her yet. But I felt like, especially from... Okay, so there's a few different things going on. From an acting perspective, I'm so, I guess, impressed with Sarah Michelle. Like, playing Buffy who's always strong and who like that's like a cornerstone of her character and like this show as we all know is about power and like being the person who always has all the power, you act a certain way. And in this episode, she's able to go the other way completely. Like she's able to play powerless. She's able to be scared in a way that feels both authentically Buffy and authentically scared and it's really not an emotion that she gets to channel a lot throughout the show. So seeing her do both things, just from an acting perspective, is really impressive. And I also feel that the show, tonally and mood-wise, is able to make you afraid for Buffy in a way that you never really are. And that scene where she's running from Kralik, and she's running from the vampire, and she's going through the fence, and she's being grabbed, is, to me, one of the most tense moments like in the entire series because if something like were to catch her we know that she could defend herself in any other arena even if she were cornered you know in the beginning or middle of season seven with an uber vamp we know that she couldn't face it one-on-one at one point and we were scared but we also knew that she could defend herself or like jump over a fence on her own to (laughs) run away to see that she's like trying to climb over that fence and she can't is it's really terrifying
0: yes i agree i agree with all of the things you're saying <laughs> 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 like literally my notes for this episode are just to like buffy fighting a vamp and almost getting dusted is upsetting exclamation point buffy getting the needle from giles is upsetting exclamation point Buffy getting stood up on the on her birthday date by her dad is upsetting they bring amy in this episode they bring up amy in this episode Seeing Buffy in danger is upsetting. Seeing SMG's face is upsetting. Like, all of my notes are about how upsetting it
2: is. <laughs> but I think that's why it works, that this episode leans so hard into the horror genre, especially in the creepy old boarding house. Yes. Um, because it is sort of, she's so, so vulnerable, and then there's all these dark corridors and creaking floorboards, and there's, you know there's something out there out to get her, and it's just... So it's upsetting... Because we know and love the character and we're scared for her. But also, it's genuinely one of the scarier episodes.
0: Yeah. Like, everyone always says that about Hush. But Hush is just, those monsters are creepy. But, like, you're never really afraid for Buffy in Hush.
2: Um, well, you're never really afraid for any character in the, in the show. Yeah. Really. Even though, obviously, Joss does love to kill off characters willy-nilly. But, yes. really, the core characters you know are going to be safe. You know, more or less. Um, and, and this, and and even though, obviously, the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know she's not gonna die in this episode, but you are, and and I've seen this episode so many times, but when I was rewatching it today, I was still, like, I could feel my heart, like, beating. yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, also, this is a thing, I mean, just to, in my notes that I just read, they say that they bring up Amy in this episode, which I like, which is, like, I like that they just, like, casually mention her throughout until she comes back, like, either just showing them the rat in Willow's room or like you know like Buffy asks Willow how's Amy doing and she's like talks about how she's comfortable and then Buffy's like well i mean about bringing her back um also Buffy says to Giles in the beginning faith is on one of her unannounced walkabouts what the fuck does that mean
1: yeah i was very confused by that they haven't they really do not explain i mean they're it's really once again trying to save yeah. that Eliza <laughs> Dushku day rate but like it's not that's not that's not an excuse like i don't understand what that means i i I have a theory about this
2: Um, and i mean i do absolutely agree um i know you've said this before that basically they just want to save faith for the episodes where they really need her so they don't have to pay the actress but also having another slayer in this episode would render the plot completely moot oh that's so true If 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 Faith could go in and save Joyce at the end, you know, um, or or, also it it kind of saves them from having to explain how old is Faith exactly, and will she has she been through this test already, or will will she have to go through it? Um, It sort of just removes a lot of questions that they wouldn't that they would have to answer in order to focus just on the main plot.
1: Well, that's also a really good point because we've talked about on the podcast before that the show does a really good, I mean, a really bad um, job at aging Faith. Or just like talking about her age in general, because obviously when slayers are called, they're usually like fourteen or fifteen, and the the time between when Kendra dies and Faith shows up on the show, in terms of the show, it's like the end of school, so maybe like May or June, and she shows up in like September, so it's only like three or four months, and Faith is already like this like really sexual adult person, um, and like. I,
0: mm,
1: mm. I like, think she's older than Buffy.
2: So you think she was just called super old? <laughs> not like, because you know, That's super old. In, but season like, seven, sort of, but in season seven, they do say that. They say that you can be older because Kennedy is, like, in her 20s, and she's saying, I think it might be too late for me now.
1: Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, I because I think about that, I didn't think of Kennedy as in her 20s. I thought Kennedy was maybe, like, 17 or 18. I didn't know she was in her 20s. I do well,
0: I think remember... She was- I
1: do remember something about that, yeah. Anyway. um, No, uh, not anyway. That sounds dismissive. What I meant was moving on. (laughs) Uh, No. um, I, I also really love the scene. So, oftentimes, the show really does use Cordelia as a foil for Buffy. And they actually do that several times in this episode because... Cordelia is who Buffy would kind of be without her powers. So they do they they draw the Buffy Cordelia parallel twice in this episode. The first time is when Buffy tries to kind of like intervene in that really scary moment where like yeah. this guy is getting physical with Cordelia on school like in the quad. Like during school hours, like, grabbing her, and I'm like, okay, that's really bold, like, yeah. you're abusing your girlfriend in the middle of school on the quad, and obvious, and also, not only does he grab Buffy, I mean, grab Cordelia, he literally knocks Buffy over onto her back, and I'm like, is any teacher gonna say anything? Right? <laughs> he is knocking women over, like, cement
0: benches. And, like, not even other student. like, I feel like I would if that were her high school, like people would run over or something like, and then right. Cordelia doesn't even like blink. She's just like, what is wrong with you? And then starts hitting the guy. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I love that. And I, I know that this is a Cordelia Stan podcast. I am aware. Um, <laughs> and I feel like this episode actually shows once again, how Cordelia steps in and does the right thing when she doesn't have to. Yeah. Well, she, that is so such a perfect she, segue. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, I, I have one thing to say. Um, no, no, go Buffy, ahead, go ahead. Buffy does not deserve Cordelia as a friend, because Cordelia <laughs> rescues her from that guy, from that abusive guy. She, You know, she she's the one who fights him off, and then Buffy's like, oh, I was super shallow. I was, like, even worse than Cordelia. And it's like, wow, Catty, she just saved her ass, and she drove you home.
0: <laughs> that,
1: is that is so true. She kind of insults Cordelia right after Cordelia... I mean, she also knows that Cordelia's not vapid. Like, she says she shan- that... Oh, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, she knows that Cordelia consistently chooses to be a part of her friend group and stuff. Yeah. So
2: that's, um, that, that annoyed me. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's kind of a Buffy being shitty moment. You're totally right.
0: Um. Yeah, and, like, I mean... Well, throughout the show, they, like, use Cordelia as the, like, measurement of whatever of like awfulness like in living conditions I think it's Willow when Buffy's like going crazy about Kathy Willow's like she's bordering on Cordelia and then isn't it in season 5 like after she meets Glory she says she's like Cordelia with a perm or something like that yeah like they always use like Cordelia as like yet Cordelia does all this shit for them and in Angel Cordelia and Willow like talk on the phone like (laughs) like
2: Exactly. Yeah, that, that was some some lazy, lazy writing in Angel where they sort of like, oh, we need a link to back to the like, the original series, so we're just going to make Cordelia and Willow friends, even though Willow stole her boyfriend.
0: Like, that, it makes no sense that they would be friends.
2: <laughs> um, like, even Buffy, you could sort of understand Buffy and Cordelia staying in touch, maybe, but not Cordelia and Willow.
0: Yeah, because, like, Cordelia and, Cordelia and all of them don't really like each other, but Cordelia and Buffy didn't, like, there wasn't, like, man issues, like...
1: There yeah. was no real legitimate basis for like
2: opposition between yeah. the two. Yeah. Other than just reading pitting female characters against each other.
0: <gasps> but now
2: we said it. Oh. But now we said it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on, we'll get more onto that in the Zeppo because I have thoughts.
0: Uh, oh, and Taylor Swift comes uh, out me. swinging. <laughs> um. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, speaking of Cordelia, why but, don't we? I sent all of you boys a link um why don't we do a little reading
1: well let's let's talk about this do you want to talk about the scene before after the reading
0: i was gonna say after
1: okay cool um okay which
0: how about we start with you can search shaking with hatred philip you get to be giles because of your accent oh my gosh
1: oh my gosh i'm so excited to act opposite philip ellis as buffy the vampire slayer
0: great
2: (laughs) oh my goodness i get to share a stage with matthew Rodriguez
0: and ian carlos crawford bitch (laughs) wow
2: amazing wait
1: can i can i can i can we start with you bastard though after so it's when buffy finds out that giles has been drugging her
0: i think that's like too long though
1: is it too long for is there anything such thing as too long for reading
0: all right fine go ahead
1: okay thank you <laughs> okay <clears throat> uh you bastard all this time you saw what it was doing to me all this time and you didn't say a word
2: i wanted to liar in matters of tradition and protocol i must answer to the council
0: Buffy runs her hands through her hair In disbelief of her betrayal
2: My role in this Was very specific I was to administer the injections And to direct you to the old boarding house on Prescott Lane I can't I can't hear this Buffy please Who are you?
1: How could you do this to me?
2: I'm deeply sorry Buffy And you have to understand she backs If you ab- touch me I'm sorry. Go she ahead. backs away and warns,
0: warns him off with her hand If you touch
2: me, I'll kill you.
0: Giles lowers
2: his hand. You have to listen to me. Because I've told you this, the test is invalidated. You will be safe now, I promise you. Now, whatever I have to do to deal with Kralik, and to win back your trust... You stuck a needle in me. Behind them... You poisoned me. Behind them, Cordelia walks in the library. What's going
0: on? She sees Buffy, Buffy's tear-streaked face. Oh god, is the world ending... I have to research a paper on Bosnia for tomorrow, but if the world's ending, I'm not going to bother. Buffy starts to walk out of the library.
2: You can't walk home alone, Buffy. It isn't safe.
0: Buffy stops. I don't know. Buffy stops. Cordelia doesn't understand and looks at her. I don't know you. Did something take her memory? He's Giles. Giles. He hangs out here a lot. Buffy turns around. Cordelia, could you please drive me home? Of course, Buffy turns and walks out. But if the world doesn't end, I'm gonna need a note.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: scene.
1: Oh my gosh, that was honestly one of one of our best.
0: I think it was. Too. I'm glad that we brought it really back fun. for that scene. <laughs> so let's discuss that scene because I think that scene is so fucking good, and I think everyone is a plus plus in that scene.
2: Any moment when Sarah Michelle Gellar cr- like scrunches up her face like that, it's just, it goes straight to my heart. And when she's like, you poisoned me, which is just such like a, it's not even a dramatic way of saying it. Like It's what he's done to her.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. And it, yeah, it's, oh, it's just, it's, oh my, like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot.
1: Well, there's kind of a, within this episode, there's a trilogy of scenes between her and Giles. And it starts with like, um, you know, her not wanting to do the crystals. And then it, there's a scene where you first see him drug her. And I remember oh, specifically, okay. like, sitting there, watching it for the first time. Like, your jaw drops. Like, you're seeing him put something in Buffy and you don't know what it is. And you don't know if he's turned evil. Or you don't know, you know, what the motive for this is. Then you have this scene where they confront, where like she confronts him about it, and I mean, one of the things about this episode that is so um, great is that there's really two threads in the episode, and one of them is the whole season-long theme about Buffy fighting authority and. You know, are all these structures that are behind her are just, like, really bad and fucked up, whether it be the school, the town, or now the Watcher's Council. But the other thread being that this is an episode about, like, the father-daughter relationship and her father cancels on her,
2: and the whole fact that, like, he drugs her right while she's trying to get him to go to the ice capades and everything. And that scene where she's like, you know, people take their daughters and their students or their slayer right. and, like, and she's just being so, like, open and vulnerable with him. Right. And then he he's just like no no we must we must you know we have to study we have to study Um, right like i need to pump you full of this drug (laughs) but you think it's just giles being giles at first and then like the music gets very very sinister and it does make it seem like oh gosh like he's gone full villain or something and it's incredibly yeah it's a really creepy unsettling scene the way they do i think that's done very very well
1: well yeah well because from a From an often on the show there's a sense of dramatic irony where we know what's going on and the characters don't. But this is one of those times where in the beginning we I mean, it becomes that because we know Giles is doing something to her, but in the very beginning when it first happens, we don't know if he's doing it because of his job. We don't know if like something has inhabited him and he is now turned evil or you know, we don't know his intentions. So it's a really effective um, device where we're like, oh fuck! Like, is Giles bad now? Like, do we hate Giles? He's such a steady force of goodness, and uh, you know, on the show, and is like, is it going to be another authority figure that fails her? So then, when we get to this confrontation, I think Philip, you're so correct. Like, her crying face, like Sarah is peak crying in this episode. Like, it's such a good cry with her hands in her hair, and she's so confused. And you can kind of it see feels so on her real. face. It feels like her world is imploding on her, and that's really what's happening, and and she does it so well. Yeah.
0: Um, And I think, yeah, I think everyone in that scene is, I mean, I often, I've said this a million times, I think this show is a sum of all of its parts, and I think Joss always lucked out with all of the women on his shows, almost all of them are, like, A-plus performers, but sometimes the men aren't always the best, but, like, Anthony Stewart Head is, and so, like, everyone in the scene is, like, doing the most and doing the best. Um, and it's really fucking heartbreaking. Because this is... So this is a question that I have. I go back and forth all the time in this episode whether... If you were Buffy, would you forgive Giles? Like, how do you um, guys
2: think? So I, again, I, I have thoughts on this. Because I watched this and then the Zeppo. That's because we're going to be discussing that later. Um, and... I, I feel there is a moment right at the end when Quentin Travis says, "You have a father's love for the girl, and that makes you useless to us." Um, and I think hearing that does make Buffy more inclined to forgive him.
0: That's very um, yeah.
2: because she then she relents and lets him tend to her wounds and, and allows herself to be vulnerable with him again. And when he when he pats like the the damp cloth to her head and you see her wince again, it's just like it's so tender and so like heartbreaking. Um, but also, there's a scene later on in the Zeppo where you kind of see that she has forgiven him, yeah. Um, yes. He did something. He did something incredibly brave off screen, um, and it sort of it feels like that was very lazy writing that they they've introduced this disillusionment and conflict with Giles, and then they're like, oh, but we don't really want to go anywhere with that, so we're just going to like wipe it clean,
0: <laughs> which is exactly what re- they do in season seven. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. Um, but I I I feel like it would have been a really it would have been really rich like dramatic territory to explore. You know, losing that faith in your most trusted mentor and teacher and, and, and you know, father figure. Um, and they just never really have the balls to go for it. Because Giles is like because Anthony Head is such a strong actor and they kind of they're going with the mayor being the villain at this point and it's just sort of it would they did not have time or space at any <laughs> point. In <the> Sorry. <laughs> well, I think you're I
1: think that's honestly like everything that's exactly kind of what i say we know that so okay i want to address both ian's original question and what you brought up um i do think that they drop the the buffy giles tension too quickly in season three and i wish that they i mean especially with a new watcher coming in i think they made a choice to have buffy and giles team up against the new watcher and have him be some kind of like you know i mean you know i don't even know what the word would be for for wesley but like he's just like not their cup of tea and they don't really uh care for him that much and they've decided to have buffy and giles team up kind of like against him um because he does also represent the council and their authority which they shirk in general but it could have been another interesting kind of um choice to have a watcher that she liked and maybe or you know or something and and I feel like they they bring in Wesley and he's more of just, like, a figure for the council. But I feel like there could have been more room in the season for Wesley to make Buffy appreciate Giles more. Like, maybe see how not every Watcher is going to have that fatherly affection for her. And maybe that would have, like, eventually brought her back to Giles just in time for graduation day or something, you know? I think that it's like a it's a very convenient from a writer standpoint. It's like a very convenient thing that like Quentin Travers has that line about having a father's affection and then Buffy kind of maybe that's the reassurance for her. Um we also know that Buffy is an extremely emotionally mature girl and I think what she realizes in that statement is that like, you know, Giles has a very great line in the whole back and forth with Quentin about how Buffy is the one fighting the war. They're just waging it. And so Buffy, for you know, it's always like Buff- the stakes are on Buffy and the stakes are very high. I think she realizes in that moment that the stakes are very high for Giles too, and that he's become more concerned with her than with doing his job. And that's kind of where the forgiveness, I think, comes from. But they never spell that out and they never explore it. I think we're just supposed to understand from her facial cues and stuff that she's like, wow, like Giles is so and, like, loves me so much that he's actually not been the model watcher that we all thought he
2: was. Yeah. I do also like how with um, the father-daughter relationship, it's never never spelled out. I don't think they ever say to each other, I love you. And I quite like that. It's just it doesn't need to be said because they trust each other so deeply. Um, I think the only moments are maybe in season five when she's talking about the past slayers who died and she says oh you don't talk about it because you find it unseemly he says no no we find it too painful and then in season six when like he comes back after she's been resurrected and she nearly hugs him to death um but it's it's always like it's just it's just below the surface um but there's something else that you just mentioned there about you know quentin travers and and the council um i think is, is this the first time we see him yes yes and so we get a little bit more mythology around the council which also just means, like, more patriarchal bullshit. Um, and I, I just really want to understand how this organization works. Because they exist solely to fight evil, and the Slayer is their greatest weapon to fight evil. And yet they have zero communication with Buffy or Giles, unless it's convenient to the plot of any given episode.
0: Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they really do almost seem more like an organization that, um, is like that maybe hosts some kind of compendium about demon knowledge and stuff like that, and they maybe have, like, this huge library of demon books and they have resources, but it's unclear how they operate past, like, basically sending one dispatch out, poor girl,
2: to, like, watch over her and stuff like Like, that. there are hundreds of watches all around the world, why doesn't Buffy have, like, an entire, like, SWAT team helping her out? Right, they just rely
1: on Giles all the time. Like, I mean, maybe if the show took place in 2017... They Would like the, the they would, I mean, they have email on the show and they email people, but like maybe they would talk more or <laughs> Skype with people to find out what they know about the demons they're fighting. Maybe like a watches like Reddit sub thread, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like right one there the would th-
1: be <laughs> one of the things that I love that you brought up. And I know this is going to get super theoretical, but it's what people love about me is like I think that like. That's what people <laughs> love
0: about me. <laughs>
1: um, the intrusion of the council into the show is very much like putting a face and a name to, like, the patriarchal bullshit that Buffy has to deal with, right? And I think we also come to see, like, this is a show about alternative families, as we always say, and this is Buffy's alternate dad. And, you know, we're seeing the way in which, like, the patriarchal bullshit not only fucks with Buffy, but also fucks with, like... Her emotions and her loved ones on a yeah. very deep level like it's literal it's literally a message about how like the patriarchy like fucks up your family and like really can't like it, it harms the people you love and it harms your, your relationships and shit yeah, like it literally so,
0: gets kidnapped like
1: right like it's such an intrusion and in, like the council's presence is such an intrusion on such a grand scale into her life and they fuck up so royally so many things um, that they're like they're
2: so incompetent
1: yeah well i mean that and that kind of leads to something that we that ian and i were talking about that we wanted to bring up is in terms of counseling incompetence like who in their right mind thinks that it's okay to put an 18 year old girl in that test not only with a vampire but with an extremely scary vampire and in a kind of plot point that maybe is a little stigmatizing toward mental illness he's also mentally ill and yes they're like making it out to be like oh he's even scarier because he's mentally ill but like you know well, there's basically... like
0: norman bates i feel like is what they're doing right but i mean
1: that was also super stigmatizing towards yeah. mentally towards mental illness <laughs> but like that's often what horror movies do is like michael myers is just a disturbed young kid you know yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah.
2: so like I mean, a... Yeah, there's one scene where they really play up the crazy serial kind of thing, which is when she turns on the light in the closet and it's just plastered in pictures of her mum. Yeah. And uh, so it always... I love scenes like that in horror films because I always like to take the scary out of it by sitting and thinking, how many photos did he have to take? How long (laughs) did it take him sitting there blue tacking those to the wall. <laughs> right, where did he get the tacks? Did he go to the hardware store? Did he have pick <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Okay. And how long did he... did he have to do this before Buffy arrived? Also, And how, so... did, he... how did he know she was gonna end up in that room?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a thing that they're always inconsistent with. Why is he showing up in the photos?
2: <gasps> oh, <gasps> yes. yeah, I, I <laughs> So we we know that they don't have reflections, but we do. Is there a thing in in Buffy specifically about vampires not being in photographs or but that's in
1: part of it, a, a photograph is a reflection? Yeah, oh. like because cameras all work on mirrors. I guess I don't know if iPhones do, but like, <laughs> like
2: <cameras laughs> I mean, are all, it's are all mirrors? So I that's it. Well, yeah, again, a very good point. Um, I mean, they're always
0: inconsistent with that on the show, like. Er... Um, but that was the thing that just, like, bothered me. But also, like, Joyce's eyes would have been, like, still seeing spots from all those, um, like, flashes. And also, like, so he's really scary. Um, and this, like, is a creepy scene. But, like, when he first kidnaps Joyce and he's in, like, Little Red Riding Hood, like, cowl. Well, he steals
1: Buffy's jacket. That's and, Buffy's jacket.
0: Oh, Right. That's um,
1: why but Joyce goes to her because he takes her jacket and she I, thinks it's, I think she thinks it's Buffy. Like Buffy's on the s- porch, like hurt or something.
0: And he's just like, mother? Like it's yeah. such a like creepy scene, but also like kind of silly.
2: Um, it's such so funny.
0: Yeah. Um, also, we didn't bring up the fact that this guy is, this actor is the same actor that plays Rack in season six.
1: Yes, we didn't bring that up, but and it it's, is. It's but weird because cool.
0: it's so obvious. Um like it's just him. I don't know. Because he kind of looks the same in and out of Vamp face. Yes, he does.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he There's also... not many people who look exactly the same, um, but he does look exactly the same.
0: Yeah.
2: Can um, I just as again just before we move on, um, how traumatic do we think this is for Joyce? Because she's kidnapped by a vampire serial killer and the next day she's just like, Oh Buffy, she was so clever. <laughs>
1: Right, she really gets over it real fast. Like she's not it, like she should be in bed cowering, <laughs> being like, "I'm actually scared of the outside world
2: now." Like, yeah, like <laughs> I, I would, I would love a, a like a, an alternative timeline where just Joyce becomes an alcoholic because she can't deal with the stress of having a Slayer for a daughter, <laughs> like an
1: alcoholic recluse, and like <laughs> yes. like one of those moms in horror movies where like they just have like you know she she never leaves that chair and like she just beca- <laughs> become traumatized, and Buffy's like trying to talk to her. And she's like, mom, I'm going to school. And like,
2: B- Joyce just doesn't answer. Joyce just sits there going, mother, mother. <laughs> um, I mean, I do like that earlier in the episode, we see Joyce in single mother mode because um, when Hank cancels on Buffy because he's garbage, she's sort of, she's trying to soften the blow and she's trying to make sure that like, Buffy isn't too disappointed. And um, as the child of divorced parents, I, I related to that scene. So I, li- I like that we're finally getting away from Joyce being terrible like at the start of the season, and she's starting to really like we're remembering that how much she loves Buffy now, yes
1: um, The only thing uh, that I think I also wanted to bring up about this episode is that this is the only time that Buffy kills with with holy water on the show.
0: Is it the only time?
1: It's the only she's used it before, like she burned I think she burned Darla in the very beginning with holy water. And, and I know she, she burns used, an Uber van. She, she uses it to, to blind you the Uber van. Yeah. But um, this is the only time huh. that she kills
2: a vampire with holy water. Huh. And it takes like 10 full seconds for him to notice he's drunk the vampire version of right. acid.
1: I've always thought that like the moment he put it to his lips, he'd be like, "Al, burn it, guess I shouldn't drink this. Ha ha, <laughs> Buffy.
2: Like... <laughs> But it's it's not convenient, like, physics, and also, like, oh, he's crazy, and he needs his pills, you know, stigma, stigma, so... Yeah. Also, um... Also, one final, one final thing, um, this week in Xander is the Worst, him <laughs> enjoying <laughs> being powerless. Yes! Oh, oh,
0: yes.
1: Oh, the part with the peanut butter at the end, I mean, and then, of course, like, Willow's the one who opens it, I think,
2: but... <laughs> And I I enjoy that they use it to, like, they use it to emasculate him further, but it's just like, oh, but God, he would be enjoying it, wouldn't he? Because he's just terrible.
0: Yeah. Ugh.
1: Like, he is lording it over her. Meanwhile, her and Joyce have just gone through, like, the most traumatizing, some of the most traumatizing moments of their lives. Buffy was literally fighting for her life to save her and her mom, and Xander's like, ooh, I can open peanut butter, but I actually can't because I'm garbage, (laughs) and I don't deserve peanut butter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Xander... Does not deserve peanut butter. (laughs) Um, Oh, I have one final thing in my notes, sorry. Um, I don't mean to, like, I I know I'm aware I'm taking over, but it's... No, we want you to take over. Take over, Daddy. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Angel's Angel's monologue about how he stalked a 15-year-old Buffy is creepy as hell. Oh Oh, my God. Yes. Oh,
0: my God. Wait, guys, in my notes... It says this is one of Ange- one of Angel's only speeches to Buffy about why he loved her. That's actually really sweet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like no, sat in a blacked-out car, watching a fifteen-year-old high school student being approached by a man in his fifties, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, that's hot."
1: I mean, when no, you put I'm it that gonna, way, I'm like, I, oh, side yeah. with, I side with Philip on this one. This is one of those moments where television shows like this, and Twilight encourage us to love our stalkers, and this is not okay. But at also least. the
2: rationale he provides, like, oh, I saw your heart. It's like, I mean, it's, it's poetic, and I like the joke at the end about how it's poetic but gross, but it doesn't really track with the scene that we saw in Becoming. Correct.
1: Well, no, it doesn't. It does. Isn't it, it does. Because he stalks her in Becoming and, like, watches her become
2: a slayer. Yeah. <sighs> I know but like, I mean the whole thing's like oh I, I, I don't know I just, it, it's not convincing to me but I well, think that's mainly because whenever I watch the Buffy angel romance bits now as a 30 year old I'm just like Ugh, you know get over it you well, a- I think
1: in college I think you kind of illustrated the the evolution that one goes through because in Becoming when they il- it's like show don't tell right so when they show him watching over Buffy were like oh that's cute like he's been her guardian angel but when you actually put it down on paper what he did like stalking a 15 year old and watching her from a blacked out van is actually legit creepy and like someone called I like I, Trixie Mattel gif I'm
2: calling the police Like. <laughs> oh i'm I'm so happy that is this this the first time there's been a a drag race reference on this podcast oh no oh no we actually had an
1: episode with our friends christopher and um charles where we all talked about drag race and ian really doesn't watch drag race so he felt excluded
0: ian doesn't watch it at all not doesn't really ian doesn't watch it at all
2: (laughs) yeah no ian does not watch drag race and Matthew, we're gonna start a Drag Race Podcast and uh, you know what I invited. That's it'll that's be a drag race
1: buffy crossover podcast where we watch Drag Race through the lens of Buffy. You know, and, I was
0: uh, I was actually just thinking of like stupid photoshops I could do for Slayer Fest, and I was like, Oh, I should like do a drag race photoshop when that comes back with like Cordelia Chase in the guest judge spot because she'd be a really good guest judge.
1: <gasps> she would. I've I have i have talked to people before say like Charisma Carpenter lives in LA we they really should do like a vampire themed runway and have like Cordelia and have Charisma Carpenter be like the guest
2: judge. Like, I I mean, feel there like should it should just, just be like a Buffy a Buffy challenge, like a Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. Like it would just work. <laughs> it would work. Right. It's such a like, good so... anyway.
0: I mean, like, every like every first
2: episode on Drag Race has clearly seen Buffy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we don't have too much time, but with the time we do to have, let's talk about a few overarching things about the episode zeppo starring everyone's least favorite character uh what's his name
0: um so (laughs) that guy i think this episode i didn't used to like i thought it was like really fun and like i appreciated it from like a different character's perspective when i but like this time around like i really didn't think it aged well like how do you guys think about that
2: um, I, I'm the same. I, I always do enjoy a kind of, like, uh, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yeah. style. You know? Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, the main action's happening off-screen, and we're just getting little glimpses of it through this minor character. And I do, I always appreciate that, but did it have to be Xander?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I, uh, I, I want to give our, our readers, like, you know, still,
1: like, a full treatment of the episode, even though we all have a lot of bias against Xander. I think that you're absolutely correct, Phil, like, it is a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern episode. Um, And I I, want to say that, like, the structure of it is really good, and the writing in terms of just, like, the the phrases and the language that people are using. I think it's a really well-written episode. But I ultimately feel like it's not that effective at pushing Xander forward or making him an adult. Like, I always feel like, looking back at it now, the aim of the episode is... Is to be like, hey, Xander is now grown up. Like he lost his, vir- it like basically equates growing up with like losing your virginity and almost dying, which is like a lot for him to go to through. But after this, he never acts like an adult. Like he's still a
2: shitty person. I feel like so this um this episode does almost kind of get a sequel in season five where it does achieve those things, which is the replacement. Yes. yes. I feel like, because in season four, the running joke with Xander is that he's like, you know, he doesn't go to college and he has all these terrible jobs. And it's in season five where he, um, obviously, you know, his his inner, his more confident self comes out. He commits to Anya. He gets a good job and an apartment. And that's sort of from that moment on, he no longer is the, the kind of the loser. He's actually the grown up who lives in the real world. Um, I think this episode tried it but um, it just fails, mainly because don't ever frame Cordelia as the antagonist when he's the one who cheated on her.
0: And she got stabbed because of it, like...
2: Yeah, so that right. immediately is like... I, I know that he's the, um, like the, the surrogate character in this particular episode, but my sympathy was never with him. Well, so...
1: in terms of you're saying he's the surrogate character in this episode, I actually feel like a lot of the time the show is almost wanting us to over-identify with Xander because we do not have powers the way that Buffy and Willow and almost every other person on the show do. Yes. And so, like, the show is often achingly trying to make us identify with Xander. They're like, he's just like you. He, like, is trying his hardest and he has no powers, but he's there for his friends. And it's like, no, I really don't want to identify with him <laughs> at all. I will identify with Cordelia.
0: Thank you. Like <laughs>
2: well, well,
0: and, like, one, that's... It's <sighs> also, like that consistent throughout the show, like, in season five, he's, like, the bricklayer picks up a spare when he hits Glory with the wrecking ball. And, like, in season six, Willow says to him, like, isn't it Willow? Like, Dark Willow says to him, like, who are you? Like, you're nothing. Or does Anya
2: say that to him? I forget. Oh, my God. Xander would want to make America great again, wouldn't he? Yes, so... We've said that several times. Wait, so... He, in, it, he, would be, he would have a red cap.
0: In my notes of this, I said that, that that was my biggest issue with the writing in this episode, was that Cordelia's insults are framed so heavy-handedly about, like, how a male would feel and I feel like it was all the excuses that a Trump supporter uses for voting for Trump. Like, oh, I'm neglected because I'm a straight white male and, like, I don't have superpowers slash I'm not a minority. Like, I don't know, that's how I read that. And like, um, and he
2: loves strong women, but he also hates strong women.
0: Yes, exactly. And like,
2: and he continues that with faith tonight,
0: right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like for me, all of Cordelia's insults felt not in character for Cordelia, um, but also she's like someone who just fell through a bunch of stairs and got stabbed with a bar after finding her boyfriend cheating on her. So like maybe she's allowed to be extra mean, um. But like the insults felt so heavy-handed, and I just I I was surprised this episode wasn't written by Joss. I looked it up, um, because I'm positive Xander what is was it? Joss. Um, I honestly
2: thought it was a Joss episode.
0: Yeah, right, so did I. But no, the the writer of this episode only wrote this episode in Lover's Walk for Buffy, and that's it. But has written a bunch of American Dad, Simpsons, and Futurama episodes, which makes more sense because of how silly <laughs> yeah. the episode is. <laughs>
2: Um, I mean, I, do, I did love when when Cordelia was just like reading him to Phil. I did enjoy when she walks away and just says, "There was no part of that that wasn't fun." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was a very Cordelia thing to say, actually. I, was, I, I just it, that made me smile because I was like, "Yeah, you told him about himself," <laughs> even though it was you know out of character of her in that regard. But um, but I, I just I, I like you guys. I always enjoy whenever she's on screen. Yes. Um, but um, so fun fact. Because I, I, when she says to him, you're the Zeppo, and I've just never understood what that word means, so I Googled it today. And oh, fun yeah. fact, on Urban Dictionary, one definition of a Zeppo is an unintentional glance at another man's testicles while urinating in a public restroom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that feels, like, appropriate for Xander, right?
2: Well, considering he's, like, oh, to the police officer, he's like, oh, we were just wrestling, but not in a gay way. Like, fuck you, Xander.
0: Yeah, like, that was so, like, I mean, that, like, annoyed me, but that felt like, yes, Xander would say that. Like, that felt very, like, yeah, of course he would say not in a gay way.
2: Xander, no homo, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, So we do know,
1: though, what the, do you, we do, we're all on the same page about knowing what the Zeppo is, right? If not,
2: we'll say it out for viewers. I I, I honestly don't know. Oh, okay. Do you know Ian?
0: I know. I mean, I only know because... Of this this show, there's like a few words that I only know because of this show. Like corporeal. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, that is like an SAT word. <laughs> Hi, I have an MFA. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that's like a GRE word. <laughs> um, so, there are... So, have you heard of the Marx Brothers? You know, like they were the comedians, like Groucho and Harpo. Oh, yeah. So... The main ones are Groucho, Harpo, and Chico. Like, those are the ones that are famous. And there's actually a fourth brother that no one knows about called Zeppo. Like, he's an actual Marx brother. And so the Zeppo, the idea is that, like, he's the leftover. He's the fourth Marx brother who's, like, not as special or as funny as the Marx brothers. So he's, like,
2: the Elizabeth Olsen.
1: No, Elizabeth Olsen is an amazing actress.
2: (laughs) Oh my God! <laughs> I might have said that on purpose to gauge your reaction. um No, okay, that makes sense to me. That's a very niche reference, though, because I I don't really think the Marx Brothers are a thing over here. Okay. That's... Um, I, I, think I, I, like, I you guys should... have American privilege. I don't know who. I I, I the Marx Brothers aren't a, a massive thing over here. They're not, and I also think they're just not a massive thing in general for like.
1: I think it's a very over-our-head uh, reference for a lot of people who are
2: watching this at the time in general. Yeah, But Buffy I mean, does, like, not like putting dropping in references from, like, 30- or 40-year-old writers and putting them in, like, a teenager's mouth. Right, but, like, the Marx Brothers are from, like, the, they're, like, comedians from the 30s. So it's like,
1: <laughs> by then it would have been, like, a 60-year-old 60, a 60 reference. And
0: it makes no sense that Cordelia would know what that is or make that reference.
1: Excuse you, Cordelia is a very cultured young lady. Yeah, oh, but
0: like, <laughs> I feel like that's not like a like biting insult. That's like an insult. <laughs> when you're like, what?
2: <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 was much more um sort of it felt more apt when they when they made the Jimmy Olsen parallel.
0: Yes, yes, that felt more made more sense. Um, yeah. So I can't help but every time we talk about this, like I just keep going back to like the powers as minorities and Xander is a Trump supporter like that's what I keep going back to it's like well, I'm not special so I'm gonna be upset about it like and like insert like oh having slayer powers or like being a witch as like being a minority and like that's what he's upset about Ugh. anyway continue sorry <laughs> um, no
2: no sorry go ahead I, so, I mean I just want to talk very briefly about the scene with Faith oh, okay. if I may yeah um do so she's like you know the slayer he's able to get um but also i yeah it, so it's yes. basically <laughs> he could yeah he, he could have lost his virginity to anyone on that crazy crazy night um and like he doesn't actually care about faith at all. When he's, like, later on, he's like, oh, I can talk to Faith, because we have a connection. It's like, well, you haven't mentioned it. You never called her.
0: Yeah.
2: It's just, I mean, yeah, that just, that always messes me up. But I, I'm totally, like, on Faith's side with this, where it's like, you know, maybe I would sleep with Xander if I was drunk, or I'd just been in a fight with an apocalypse demon, but I would also definitely throw him out straight after.
0: Yeah, like, I'm not um, trying to, like, cuddle with him or talk to him after.
2: <laughs> so, No, the minute, the minute you were done, you'd be like, oh, oh. God, this guy! What have I done? Okay, next. <laughs> so, um, this episode obviously
1: is all about seeing the A plot through the through the eyes of a usual B plot, and like through Xander's eyes. And Ian before was saying that the A plot is much more interesting. Like he wants to see Buffy and Faith work together yes. and like have the female friendship part as through through like and fight an apocalypse together, um, because that actually probably should have bonded them more than people realize.
2: Um, in this episode, we see Faith as part of the team before she kills Mr. Finch. Right.
1: And we kind of lose out on that, like, camaraderie. But I actually think that it would have been amazing, because we are seeing the sex through Xander's eyes. And I guess it's because it's, it's the WB. This is a teen show. He's losing his virginity. Like, it's a big moment, blah, blah, blah. But... I think that this moment, this is like a revolutionary moment for female sexuality on TV, because we see Faith, like, Faith does not give a fuck that it's Xander. She literally is like, I was fighting, I didn't get to kill, I have all this pent-up sexual energy, and I'm just gonna use this dick to get what I want, and... Like, it is literally goals. Like, she literally grabs Xander and is like, You are just a dick that is in front of me and you're gonna fuck me.
0: And she's, and and she's, she's the, even like, Oh, it's fine, you don't know. I'll do it. Like, right. And she's the opposite of dickmatized. She's so <laughs> over dick. Like, she does she's not give
1: a. It. Shit. <laughs> right. She's like, Dick neutral. She's like, I'll just fuck it. Like, Dick
0: neutral. Well, Matthew, that is such a good. <laughs> you're but so poetic. Wanna... <laughs>
1: I want to make my, like, Twitter, not my handle, with my screen screen name, like, Dick Neutral, <laughs> and, like, no one, just no one will get it unless they listen to Sairfest. <laughs>
2: but now you're just making me wish that they'd written an episode that was from the point of view of Faith. Yeah. Can you imagine the Zeppo, like, Faith's Night? Because that it, scene with Xander would have been, like, two seconds long.
1: Oh, my God, but I also love, like, imagine if the Zeppo in, gen- in general, instead of giving us an episode about fucking Xander if they gave us an episode all about Faith and, like, how she, like, seeing her go about her day and, like, she really has no bond with the group, like, that's been a big problem with her. And but she then, like, she gets, chan- she gets the chance to go through an apocalypse with them and she become like, she feels what it means to actually, like, save the world as opposed to just, like, kill vamps. Like, she actually does... She's a part of something greater than herself and it actually, like has an effect on who she is as a person
0: yeah
1: and at the same time she like takes Xander's virginity just because she needs to come like
2: <laughs> I mean that would have been I think in 1998 you know that would never have happened but I, I do think we, like we get that in season four with her two-part stuff. that is much more through faith's eyes and yes. how she feels completely disenfranchised from the others but no yeah I would, have, I would have I would have loved like a day in the life of faith in season three. When she's off on one of her unannounced walkabouts, where does yeah. she go when she's not being paid to be on screen?
1: <laughs> so it could have just, the episode just been called The Walkabout, like, after the episode where Buffy says she's on a walkabout, and then we just get The Walkabout with Faith.
2: <laughs>
0: I just, like, I imagine Faith, like, killing a bunch of amps, being dick neutral about someone she fucks, and then, like, going home eating a bunch of Doritos and watching TV. That's what I imagine her day is like. <laughs> yeah.
1: Honestly, that's all I want all my days to I be. I mean, right?
0: That sounds great. <laughs>
1: So, um, so there are other things that we wanted to t- talk about with um, this episode, or maybe I think we covered it. No, Who I. Knows? <laughs> I mean,
0: I think that's it.
2: Yeah. So, there's, um, there's one, there's one line that one of the zombies says that I wrote down in my notes because I just could not agree more. Uh, one of him says, "Let's kill Xander. It'll be fun."
0: <laughs> um. So wait. Um. The only my like two favorite times when I'm like, okay, Nicholas Brendan does have good comic timing. Um, or when he's holding the one zombie in the car and he's like building up this speech and then he accidentally knocks the zombie's head off on a mailbox. <laughs> like I think that scene's really funny. Um, and when he's running through the school and I think he's maybe holding an axe and the hellmouth demon bursts through the wall and he's like, "Okay, go the other way." Those are like the two scenes that I was like, "All right, Xander, you, all right, I'm laughing. Like you got me." <laughs> And I just wanted to point out something positive about this episode.
2: Yeah, no, the, the comedy in the episode is, it, it, it's a funny episode. And obviously we're about to head into like a very, very dark couple of, of episodes with the Faith storyline. So I think, and, and obviously it's sandwiched between Helpless, which is really, really dark as well. So, and I think Buffy does that quite well in general, sort of. Yeah. Um, it, it keeps the tone nice and even. Um, so it's it's a funny episode. It's just like the minute you start to think about it in any depth, it's sort of like, oh, he's the worst. No, I mean it's, it's uh, it, it wasn't like a, a chore to to rewatch
0: it. I found well, myself I, I, I caught myself hard. clocking out a lot. Like I would notice myself not paying attention.
2: Oh, I mean I was on my phone the entire time.
0: But yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I just want to say that I think actually that this episode has some of the best music in Buffy episode history. Oh that my god! This,
0: I felt it felt very thirty rock.
1: The Zippo has like it has that rollicking violin. Um, and the, the the way it moves everything along It's actually has to me some of the best Buffy and there's a lot of that in season 3 didn't we talk about an episode yeah. just a few episodes ago that had great music which one was it
0: I don't remember but I th- it might have been Band Candy
1: yeah was- I think it was Band yeah. Candy and I think it's actually some of the same music but because um, it is like a season 3 theme-ish music yeah, but yeah. Um, it's it, it's great I love I will say I love the music in this episode yeah Um, And I also hate the final, I for some reason hate the final scene with the bomb and the speech. I think that's dumb.
2: Because they're trying to make out that he's immediately become this like cool guy overnight and he shouldn't be disregarded or or mocked. And it's like, no, you're still just like a little boy, Yeah. Well, okay,
1: so there's the thing, right? So this episode tries to take the sex with Faith and just make it another plot device of like, man uses woman to become man like it's like she's just a plot point for xander and like it totally goes against to me like what the show is about like he they try to make faith out to be like the thing that made him an adult and that's like some fucking like stephen king shit or i mean i'm sorry i'm i'm going say that because i read what happens in the actual book it and how they all like have sex with the girl character to become adults if anyone hasn't read the book it that
0: happens Wait, i thought i thought it was like Okay, now we're going to get off topic for, like, two seconds. Just bear with me. I thought... So I've never read the book. I had only seen the original movie, but, like, parts of it as a kid, and it terrified me. And I love the new movie. It re- actually reminded me of Buffy a little bit. Um, but I thought it was that the bullies raped her. I thought it was a rape scene. Is it no, 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 in- no,
2: no. Um, it's, it's sort of... It's very weird, because in the in the novel, it's positioned as, like, a positive thing... And almost like an act of love between these friends, even though they're all like twelve or thirteen. Um, but th- and there's a lot in the book about how all the boys like their fears manifest as like clowns and vampires. The girl's fear is that she's going to be abused, that her body is going to like betray her by making someone attack her. So it, it, it's it's feminist in a different way. But, but then it kind of that that scene with the it, like where they have where they all fuck in the sewers is just like weird as hell. They fuck in the sewer to get yeah. out. It's, ma- like, it's like, like once they've all like banged Beverly, then they can find their way out. They're like, oh, I can see now.
0: What? Yeah, like they, okay, instead of bang.
2: like you know in the movie when they all cut
1: their hands open to like have a bonding moment, mm-hmm. like that was basically a stand-in for the group sex scene that they have because the group sex scene is supposed to be how they all bond with each other and like they use Beverly as a way to like be- like to become friends again. I am <laughs> upset. So anyway, that, <sighs> I didn't mean to, to bring us there, but the whole point was that, like, the show is really trying to use Faith as a vehicle for Xander's uh, character development. And all of a sudden, by the end, because he, like, came once, all of a sudden, he's, like,
2: not afraid of bombs. Um, also, Faith is, Faith is the only character they would ever do that to, because, like, she always gets short thrift in the writing.
1: Well, but that's the thing. It's also slut-shaming in a lot of ways. Like, they're like, oh, we have to have, like, Xander lose his virginity, and it has, we're not going to invent a new character, which is weird because they
2: do invent that girl who likes cars. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, oh, and she, like, okay, sorry, sorry, I have to say it. O'Toole's knife gets a name, but that girl doesn't get a name. Ooh called katie the girl is just the girl who likes cars Ooh, ooh, that's amazing uh oh, philip you're giving
1: me chills honestly <laughs> so yeah so like this whole episode is actually we're actually we're hitting on it the episode is super misogynistic like all of these girls are around xander but then he's been he's like afraid of this nice name katie and like but he's not afraid of this bomb so like i guess you know because a woman offers her vagina to him because that's how the show makes it seem he no longer feels kid-like fear he is like a full adult and it's kind of fucked up and misogynistic and they choose faith because they're like we need to have it happen to one of the four main girls in the cast and it's not going to be buffy and it's not going to be willow and he's definitely not going to sleep with cordelia because he fucked that up so I guess he's just gonna lose his opportunity to
2: faith. Like it's gonna- of... the casual sex is the one who's gonna turn evil in the very next episode.
1: Because sex is evil. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, but your description of Faith as Dick neutral, like, makes me feel like But that wasn't like Faith didn't do anything like bad. Like her her like um role in that feels like i like the idea of like there being a character who is dick neutral i mean add in the fact that then she kills someone the next episode yeah but like in no but moment... i mean
1: to me dick neutral is a positive yeah. thing but we're saying in the world of like the buffy world you can't be dick neutral fair. you have to yeah. be dickmatized and in love with your dick yeah. and all this shit but like and faith commits the it. sin of being dick neutral and just being like i'm gonna get my rocks off with this dick fair
0: well, so do we want to grade the episodes?
1: <laughs> yes, we do. Um, let's start with "Helpless."
0: Um, I give "Helpless" a. Um, I think a B plus.
1: I'm gonna say a minus.
2: I'm going to say a B because it's it's great. It's scary. It's dark. The acting's brilliant, but um, some of the writing sort of it's, it glosses over a few things. So I'm gonna say a B. All
0: right. And yeah. the Zeppo. C. Um, I think I'll go C I'm
2: gonna go C minus. Alright, all right. All right.
0: Well,
1: there you have it. That's all she wrote, folks. <laughs> about helpless and the Zeppo and today we talked about fathers and misogyny and it was great and yeah. dick and being dignitized and being dick neutral
0: uh, <laughs> matthew that's like th- italian chef kiss Mwah, i love it <laughs>
1: don't even don't text me about the title of the episode Ian. it's something about being dick neutral
0: can, can we have that in um, the title? <laughs>
1: Yeah, because you could just be talking like if we were having a podcast about the Dick Van Dyke Show, we'd be able to say, but Dick. we're not. <laughs> but, no, it could be like we could be having a podcast about a man named Richard
2: Neutral. Richard <laughs> Neutral could be like a detective show.
0: I'm gonna text. Yeah. I'm gonna text you about a title later. It's gonna be, my answer is gonna be Dick Neutral. Ah. That's the, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> so okay. if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at. Slayerfest X ninety eight, and you can follow Matthew at Matthew Rodriguez. Matthew, wow. Matthew Rodriguez, one T and a G. And if you want to D. follow Ian X, Car- if
1: Ian, you can follow him at Ian <laughs> X Carlos. And if you want to follow our lovely guest Philip,
2: you can follow you- me at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. Yay. Yes. Yes. All right. We love you, everyone. We love you for listening.
0: Yeah, and we love you, Philip. Thank you for being on.
2: Oh, thank you. It's it's been so much fun.
0: And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.